Chapter Twenty Nine of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Nine. The King's Favor is Toward a Wise Servant. Mr. Raymond of Newton was concluding a letter to Mr. Edward Stockwell of Boston. A business letter it was, but the two gentlemen had been acquaintances of years standing and were neither so intimate that he liked the look of sending to him a brief business epistle, such as very particular friends feel at perfect liberty to do when they get in a hurry, nor so unintimate that a brief formal note would be all that would be expected from him. So he hesitated, dipping his pen into the ink to save time, while he thought how he could best fill the few lines left on the page in a way to interest the Boston merchant. The church? Aye, the very thing. Where was there a church of Christ in which Mr. Stockwell was not interested? He dashed on again. You have doubtless heard of our interesting winter here, and the blessed results in our church. Our brother Parker carried away with him the prayers and the hearts of half the town. Dr. Willis has also concluded his labors among us, and gone. We would gladly have kept him with us, but he was pledged to the West before he came as our supply, and only waited for spring in order to flit. Now we are sheep without a shepherd. There were just two lines more to fill. The pen paused an instant, then moved on. I suppose you have no valued protege that you could highly recommend to us as a pastor, have you? Then came the yours truly, and the letter was hurriedly signed and sealed, receiving no further thought from Mr. Raymond. About that time, Del Bronson, in her back corner room at Mrs. Ainsley's, finished and directed a letter to her uncle arose with it in her hand ready for sealing, and paused irresolute. "'Uncle Edward will think I am very uncommunicative and dignified with him,' she said, receding herself. "'I'll just add a line.' "'P.S. Mr. Nelson's engagement with the church he was supplying has closed somewhat earlier than he expected. The pastor returned from abroad about two months before the appointed time. Of course the church invited Mr. Nelson to remain the full time,' but there was no occasion for his doing so, and he felt that it would be better for all concerned to get permanently settled as soon as possible. His plans are indefinite for the future. I will endeavor to keep you posted in regard to them. Two days thereafter these two letters came in with a half a score of others, and were laid on Mr. Edward Stockwell's office desk. He came to Mr. Raymond's first, made an item of the business answer to be made, then tumbled over the other business-looking documents, in hope of news from Dell, and finally drew out her letter. Ah, he said, with brightening face, having read the P.S., that is pleasant now. It is not often that question and answer come so close together. That is just the church, and he is just the man. I'll write to Raymond immediately. It was all these apparently trivial circumstances combined that caused a quick, firm knock to be given one day at Mrs. Ainsley's kitchen door. Dell Bronson, alone in the kitchen, stopped to rinse a bit of lemon juice from her hands before she answered it. A March day and very blustering, such a day as only sour, solemn March can produce. The winter had sped away, at least it was courtesy and according to the almanac to call this month spring, though never a sign of spring was to be seen, save one sure-footed, sad-voiced robin. Still, it was undeniable that many months of winter were gone, and Dell still reigned mistress of the Ainsley kitchen blessed rain. How the mistress in the parlor actually grew smiling and eager as she detailed to envious friends the story of her marvelous help, ending, however, with a sigh. The worst of it is, she is engaged, 
and I am living in torments every day for fear her intended will come in search of her. I have been in hopes they would quarrel or something, but I don't think they have, for the letters seem to come regularly, and Delia doesn't quarrel with anybody. Well, there had been changes. There was a great deal of comfort in that kitchen now, so neat and bright and clean, it had unquestionably brightened the lives of both Mr. and Mrs. Ainsley to be able to take their meals in cleanliness and peace, to say nothing of the dainty dishes that the cook knew how to concoct. There had been more marked changes than these. Of a stormy evening, when Mrs. Ainsley was alone and felt particularly lonely, she had fallen into the habit of opening the kitchen door just as Dell was preparing to ascend the stairs and saying, "'Bring your sewing into the sitting-room, Delia,' The wind blows so it makes me feel dismal to be all alone. During these evenings she talked much of the little lorry who had died. She showed Dell the little white dress that he had worn the last time she took him to walk with her, and Dell, tender tears in her eyes, could not resist speaking of the beautiful white dress that he wore in heaven. The mother answered, sighing, You speak as if heaven were only across the street or out in the country a little way. It all seems so unreal to me and this gave opportunity for another chance word to drop, and so gradually they fell into the habit of talking about these things during many a stormy evening, and occasionally, when Dell dusted the morning room, there would be an open Bible, sometimes with a verse marked. Once it was, Suffer the little children, and forbid them not, to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. At another time, I shall go to him. So slowly, but surely, Dell felt that little Lorry was leading his mother home, and what Christian heart will fail to understand the thrill of joy that it gave her to be permitted to point the way. Other things there were to be grateful for. Harry, the slatternly girl, whose name was Harriet, and who assured Dell that folks called her Harry for short, had certainly been a trial, good-humored, bright enough, but hopelessly careless and indifferent alike to herself and her lot. You should have seen Harry that day when she ran to her room about five minutes before dinner was sent in, and came back with her brown hair smooth and shining, and her white apron neatly ruffled, bib and all, immaculate in its purity. She was certainly a joy to Dell's heart. Of very slow growth had been these changes, dating their starting point in an effort to please the only one with whom she had ever come in close contact, who had not called her an awful slovenly-looking thing but Dell had worked for more than the smooth hair and white apron, worked almost hopelessly, because of Harry's utter unconcern. Yet will she ever forget that winter evening, when she sat alone in her own room writing to Mr. Nelson, that Harry, actually remembering first to knock, came in with glowing cheeks and stammering tongue, and finally a burst of honest tears, to say that she wanted to be good if she could only find out how. With what alacrity was that unfinished letter pushed aside for this more important matter? With what simple earnestness did she go over and over the few plain steps to take in order to reach the never-failing way? Oh, it was a well-remembered evening, an evening to be thankful for during all her future life, for Harry's face was bright next morning, and she said, as Dell stopped on her way downstairs to waken her, I'm awake, and I'll be in time. You needn't be afraid. And it's just as you said, he loves me, I feel it all over me, and I'll love you forever, that I will. Faults Harry certainly had not left yet. Most people had, Dell reflected, yet the transformation was plain enough for Mrs. Ainsley to remark to her husband, If anybody wants to be convinced that there is actually such a thing as a religion that makes people over, 
they have only to live five months in this house with a girl like Harry Jones, as she was, and then three months with her as she is. I don't think it's religion so much as it is that cook, Mr. Ainsley remarked, as he helped himself to another piece of the cook's orange pie. Well, Mrs. Ainsley said thoughtfully, what makes her so different from other people? Ah, answered Mr. Ainsley, there you have me. I believe it's her religion, his wife said emphatically, and Harry has the same thing. She tries to please me nowadays. She never did that before. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord. Well, there came that firm knock at the kitchen door, and Dell, drying her hands, opened it. She gave a faint little scream and suppressed, Oh, Homer! And then the ludicrous predominated, and she laughed outright and merrily. Mrs. Ainsley's daily torment had actually arrived. In he came with a serio-comic look on his face, and meekly took a seat on the wooden chair. Homer, what possessed you to come around to the back door? she presently asked him. Didn't you write me that you always came around, and gave me a flourishing account of the walk that you had laid there too? You didn't suppose that I was going to patronize the front walk after that, I hope. Oh, Homer, she said, the absurdity of her position overcoming her once more. You'll have to eat at the second table with Harry and me. Certainly, he answered briskly. I'm glad you'll kindly sit down with us. I thought you were going to leave the me out. I hope Harry has her hair combed for the occasion. Her hair is looking beautiful. She is a very nice girl. Do you know, I've just thought, I'll have to ask Mrs. Ainsley's permission before I can give you any dinner. This last was too much for their mutual gravity. Such an honored guest as Mr. Nelson had been in her Uncle Edward's city home. Harry came out from the dining room for something that was wanted, and eyed them curiously, the gentleman with a somewhat awestricken air. On her return she left the door ajar. Who is in the kitchen? they heard Mrs. Ainsley's voice inquire, and Harry's promptly answer. A man. To see Delia? Yes, ma'am. Mrs. Ainsley's sigh was distinctly audible. Just as I expected, she groaned. That is certainly more than I can say, murmured Dell, and Mrs. Ainsley continued. Now there will be no more peace for me, and I actually don't see how I can keep house without her. If you please, ma'am, chimed in Harry's voice. I guess it's her minister come to see her. Not the slightest doubt about that, was Mr. Nelson's emphatic comment, than Mrs. Ainsley. Nonsense, it is much more likely to be her lover. What remarkable powers of penetration that woman possesses! Mr. Nelson said this in a voice so nearly aloud that Dell went in a panic and closed the dining-room door. Now before the bewildered Harry appears to us again, let us talk business, Mr. Nelson said briskly. Do you know what I've come for? I thought possibly to see me. More than that, I've come after you. After me, in an amazed voice and with glowing cheeks. Just that. I'm on my way to Newton, invited there to preach in the Park Street Church next Sabbath, through your instrumentality, I fancy. And to ensure my welcome in certain quarters, I concluded to stop on my way and carry you with me. But, Homer, I can't possibly go. It wouldn't be just to Mrs. Ainsley. Didn't you hear her say she couldn't keep house without me? Neither can I, so it's only a choice between persons. Ah, but, said Dell, blushing and laughing, you have no house to keep. I don't see how I can take a vacation just now. She is expecting company, and it would disappoint her very much. That is only a question of degree. 
pray how much will it disappoint me if you don't go. The dishes began to pour out now from the dining room. There was no chance for further talk. Mrs. Ainsley summoned Dell to her room and anticipated some of her troubles. Bring your friend into dinner, Delia. She was not wont to be so thoughtful. Is he your particular friend? And as Dell bowed in answer with very fiery cheeks, I must get a peep at him. Harry thinks he looks like a minister. Delia, I hope he hasn't come after you. This was as good an opportunity as any, and Dell explained. He is going to visit among my friends at Newton for a few days, and they would like me to come if you can spare me. What? Right away? Oh, that is just impossible. You know I am going to have company. And yet, oh dear me, what a nuisance. I could get Mrs. Smiley to come in by the day, but I would much rather have you even than her, and she is a professional cook. But then you have been just as good and faithful as you could be. I never had such help before. Yes, Delia, you may go. I declare I'll put up with it. And Dell thanked her, a triumphant light in her eyes, partly because of the pleasure in store, and partly because of this new evidence of growth. Mrs. Ainsley had triumphed over her besetting sin. The dinner passed off triumphantly, Mr. Nelson keeping up such a series of polite attentions to Harry as to keep her in a bashful giggle of delight. But the climax was to come after dinner, when the lady of the house came to get her peep. Dell, in her plain, neat calicoes and ruffles, had been sufficiently bewildering. But she had often seen the spectacle of pretty, ladylike girls bestowing themselves on blundering, worthy farmers. So when she came out to give kindly patronage to Delia's friend, and was confronted by the tall form and cultured face of Mr. Nelson, with his unmistakable broadcloth and his unmistakably ministerial air, something of the same awe that had beset Harry overcame her, and the patronage was decidedly on his side. "'You don't understand it in the least,' Dell said merrily, as Mr. Nelson having gone downtown, she awaited his return in the dining-room, herself ready dressed for a journey, and Mrs. Ainsley hovering nervously around. "'No, I don't,' that lady answered, relieved of this opportunity of speaking her mind. "'Is he really a minister? And who are you, anyway?' He is really a minister, and I am a good, honest girl, I hope, with a good, honest name, Delia Bronson. Mrs. Ainsley's puzzled face did not look relieved. But I don't understand, she repeated. If you are really a poor girl, how are you mixed up with him? Delia, I'm afraid he is deceiving you. Del laughed outright. She could afford to. This was genuine anxiety for her welfare, not unkind curiosity. Dear Mrs. Ainsley, she said merrily, why should you be so dismayed? If I made your dresses or taught your neighbor's children, it wouldn't surprise you to know that I was to marry a minister. Why should the fact that I cook your meals and make your pies be so formidable an obstacle? But it is so very unusual, Mrs. Ainsley said, still looking troubled. I know, people seem to have gotten the impression that potatoes and turnips and onions are very degrading things. It isn't that either. I might cook them by the bushel in my father's house, and still marry a minister if he asked me. Nothing is more common. But because I cook them in yours, the thing becomes degrading. Aren't the distinctions of society comical things, Mrs. Ainsley? That lady actually laughed. It does seem absurd, she admitted. At least, you put the matter in an absurd light, or else, dear me, I don't know what I think. There are not many girls like you, Delia. No, said Del frankly, that I'll admit. 
I've had different advantages from most of those who go out to service. I was brought up by my uncle, a wealthy man. He lost his fortune. I was thrown on my own resources. A very common story, you see, repeated every day. I had other resources from the one I chose, but I wanted to discover for myself what was the reason that so many good, competent cooks would rather starve than do that sort of work. I wanted, for my future benefit, to come in contact with that sort of life, and I'm not in the least sorry that I tried it. Then I've got to lose you, said Mrs. Ainsley, dire dismay in her face and voice. Dell laughed. Well, not just yet, she said brightly. I'll come back after my week's holiday and make you some bewildering cake in time for the sociable. Well, Dell said with her merriest laugh, what is it? I know you think something is out of order. They were standing in the depot waiting for the train, and Mr. Nelson, all unconsciously, had been surveying her from head to foot with a most perplexed air. He joined in her laugh before he explained. I don't in the least know what it is. You certainly look very neat and proper in every respect, and yet you look very unlike yourself. I'm dressed in a manner befitting my station in life, if you please, she answered him, dropping the weest bit of a mock courtesy as she spoke. Without an unnecessary ruffle or tuck or puff, and your solemn look of bewilderment only serves to show how utterly unprepared you gentlemen are for having the ladies practice in the matter of dress what you are forever preaching. That's an unjust statement. My look may have been bewildered, but not solemn. I honestly think you look very nice, and I should very soon become accustomed to it. The only present difficulty is that it simply isn't you. But I should quarrel with one statement. Is there any reason why an unnecessary ruffle or tuck should be proper on the dress of a lady who sits down to her sewing in the afternoon, having prepared her own dinner in the morning, and highly improper for a lady who sits at her sewing of an afternoon, having prepared Mrs. Ainsley's dinner in the morning? Not in the slightest, was Dell's prompt answer, but that is my concession to the existing sentiment on the subject, and that is my conclusion in regard to this bewildering social question. If certain mistresses and certain maids could be brought together, and each side be persuaded to make about six concessions, the millennial day would have dawned for those two classes of martyrs. Behold Dell the next morning in her old room under the Sales family roof, making ready for the somewhat late breakfast, a rich, soft cashmere morning robe enveloping her once more, trailing gracefully behind her, her hair in its old accustomed waves, everything about her in exquisite taste and keeping. She smiled to herself at the thought of the ridiculous figure she would make getting breakfast in Mrs. Ainsley's kitchen in this attire. There was evidently a fitness in things. She smiled again when she met Mr. Nelson in the hall, felt rather than saw his rapid survey, and beheld his satisfied air. He evidently considered her as being herself. The foolish man hadn't the least idea that it would swallow three times his probable salary to keep Dell looking as her uncle's millions had done. It was well for him that his promised wife thoroughly understood the situation, and also had a sense of the fitness of things. End of chapter 29. Recording by Tricia G.